Hello, hello, hello. It is your girl, Sid, back with Book Club for Baddies. Welcome, baddies. I am so excited. So I decided... If you follow me on any social media, I had put up a little poll to see if you guys would rather shorter or longer episodes. Majority said shorter. So, you know, I give you guys what you want, right? You know that I give you what you want, what you need. So these episodes are going to be shorter. They're easier, quicker to listen to because I know the longer ones are just like jam-packed full of information, which is great. But if you've got like a 30-minute commute, you got to stop and pause the episode. And, you know, it's just, it's easier this way. When you pull up to your job, you'll hop out of the car. You'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm the baddest bitch in the world. I've got so much great information. I'm going to move through my day with purpose and power. And yeah, so, you know that's what we're doing here on book club for baddies last episode we stopped at the end of chapter four so chapter five is you are always choosing so he starts off saying imagine that someone puts a gun to your head and tells you that you have to run 26.2 miles in under five hours or else he will kill you and your entire family that would suck now imagine that you bought nice shoes and running gear trained religiously for months and completed your first marathon with all of your closest family and friends cheering you on at the finish line. That could potentially be one of the proudest moments of your life. Exact same 26.2 miles, exact same person running them, exact same pain coursing through your exact same legs, but when you choose it freely and prepare for it, it was a glorious and important milestone in your life. When it was forced upon you against your will, it was one of the most terrifying and painful experiences. Often the only difference between a problem being painful or being powerful is a sense that we chose it and that we're responsible for it. If you're miserable in your current situation, chances are it's because you feel like some part of it is outside your control. When we feel that we are choosing our problems, we feel empowered. When we feel that our problems are being forced upon us against our will, we feel victimized and miserable. This is definitely like control versus out of control. I'm such a control person. Um, So for me, when I don't feel like I'm in control, I feel very vulnerable and like a sense that I'm like very uncomfortable and I've really had to work through that as I've gotten older because nothing's in your control in this life and like last year you know with my health and everything I really went through that and had to just throw my hands up and say okay Jesus take the fucking wheel because I couldn't do anything about it like I couldn't have any control over how my health was going. I couldn't control my relationship that was ending. I couldn't control my friendships, my family. I couldn't control anything that was going on in my life and I felt so extremely helpless. But when you choose to give up that, it's so empowering. When you choose to say, okay, like whatever is going to happen, I'm going to walk with purpose and I'm going to do what I need to do. But if I give up this sense of like, I have to be in control of everything, it is so empowering and you feel so free from it. And this is kind of what he was touching on as well. Like we have to choose our pain. So like if you want to have an amazing body, obviously you have to choose the pain of going to the gym every day. If you want to get your degree, you have to choose the pain of studying all the time, missing out on time with your friends to get things done. So everything's about choosing for yourself, which in sense is kind of like a little bit of control still, but it's just choosing what you would rather suffer through. So then he goes into another little story. It's the choice. And he talks about William James. 
He was born into a wealthy and prominent family, but he suffered life-threatening health issues. So due to his health problems, James spent most of his time at home. He didn't have many friends and he wasn't particularly good at school. He passed the days by painting and that was the only thing he liked and the only thing he felt particularly good at. Unfortunately, nobody else thought he was good at it. And when he grew into an adult, nobody bought his work. And as the years dragged on, his father, a wealthy businessman, began ridiculing him for his laziness and lack of talent. Meanwhile, his younger brother, Henry, went on to become a world-renowned novelist. And all of his family members, sister, blah, 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 they all were just like these incredible people. And he was just the oddball and black sheep of the family. So in a desperate attempt to salvage the young man's future, his father used his business connections to get him admitted into Harvard Medical School. And it was his last chance. His father told him, you better not screw this up or you're donezo. And so he went and he ended up flunking or leaving medical school because he didn't even really want to do it. So James mused in his diary and he felt he had more in common with the patients than with the doctors at Harvard. And a few years went by and again, his father was just super disappointed in him. And so he decided to get away. He signed up to join an anthropological, <laughs> anthropological, yes, Mm-hmm. anthropological expedition to the Amazon rainforest. And this was in the 1860. So a transcontinental travel was difficult and dangerous. And, you know, we already know James had health issues. He did make it all the way to the Amazon, but he was so fragile and he ended up getting smallpox as soon as he got there and he nearly died in the jungle. So, you know, he eventually made it back to New England where he was greeted by an even more disappointed father. But by this point, the young man wasn't so young anymore. Nearly 30 years old, still unemployed, a failure, everything he attempted, and with a body that would routinely betray him and wasn't likely to ever get better. Despite all of the advantages and opportunities that he had been given in his life, everything had fallen apart. The only constants in his life seemed to be suffering and disappointment. And James... Oh, Obviously, it fell into a deep depression and began making plans to take his own life. Because, I mean, shit, when you feel like you're not shit your whole life, I mean, yeah, you're going to get fucking depressed. But one night while reading lectures by the philosopher Charles Pierce, James decided to conduct a little experiment. In his diary, he wrote that he would spend one year believing that he was 100% responsible for everything that occurred in his life, no matter what. During this period, he would do everything in his power to change his circumstances, no matter the likelihood of failure. If nothing improved in that year, then he would take his own life. The punchline, William James went on to become the father of American psychology. His work has been translated into a bazillion languages, and he's regarded as one of the most influential intellectual slash philosophers slash psychologists of his generation. He would go on to teach at Harvard and would tour much of the United States and Europe giving lectures. So after he took responsibility and changed his life, he became wildly successful, like beyond anything he probably could have ever imagined his life would turn out to be. James would later refer to his little experiment as his rebirth and would credit it with everything that he later accomplished in his life. There is a simple realization from which all personal improvement and growth 
emerges. This is the realization that we individually are responsible for everything in our lives, no matter the external circumstances. In this, I have said for so long, like, we don't know what life we're going to be born into. We are all dealt different hands. It might be amazing. It might be shitty as fuck. You could have the worst childhood growing up, terrible parents, no opportunity, no resources, no help, no support. But as an adult and a human being, it is our responsibility to do better for ourselves, to get ourselves out of these shitty situations to make something of ourselves. And that depends on the person. Like whatever you find success is your own idea of success. But it is our job and we can't expect everybody else to just be like, okay, yeah, I fucked up your childhood. Now I'm going to help you get out of it. No, like what parent has ever sat there and admitted that they maybe weren't the best parent in the world when you were a kid? They probably did what they were taught or what they could do however they could support you and it might not have been amazing but it is our responsibility to do better for ourselves and to make something of our life and to find our happiness and our success it is no one else's job and a lot of people don't want to fucking hear that because they want to feel like woe is me and then be in this constant like victim state of mind But like, get the fuck over yourself. You are not special. There's a ton of people out there who have been through either the same thing, worse. Look at fucking Oprah. She like had the worst life growing up. And look how extremely successful and happy she is. So quit your bitching. He then goes into, we don't always control what happens to us, but we always control how we interpret what happens to us as well as how we respond. Whether we consciously recognize it or not, we are always responsible for our experiences. It's impossible not to be. Choosing to not consciously interpret events in our lives is still an interpretation of the events of our lives. Choosing not to respond to the events in our lives is still a response to the events in our lives. Even if you get run over by a clown car and pissed on by a busload of school children, it is still your responsibility to interpret the meaning of the event and to choose a response. I always think, too, we create these like expectations and stuff in our mind. And as soon as something doesn't follow our expectations, we're so let down. And I've just learned over 27 years years now of living on this crazy world that when something doesn't work out for you something else is like right behind it something else is supposed to happen to you if you had done what you expected or wanted you might not have gotten the opportunity that was really meant for you so it's our job to sit there and interpret these things that happen in our life and if we look at it so negatively like oh my god i didn't get that job like that was my dream job and like you're so upset about it that's you choosing to see it in a negative way instead of seeing it in a positive way and saying, okay, that might have been what I thought was my dream job. But who knows if you went there, you could have been not even doing the work that they promised you were going to do. You could have a terrible fucking manager. You could be super unhappy. You never know. And so allowing life to happen and choosing the way that you interpret the events that happen are so, so important. And I can tell you, All the fucking bullshit that I've been through in my life, when something didn't work out or something I really wanted didn't happen, something better has always come along or I have seen the purpose of why something didn't happen later on. Go with the flow. 
Also, as someone who has always been such a huge overthinker, I have really learned that I have to relax because I create like scenarios and shit in my head that haven't even happened and like overthink things and just over time it has driven me literally insane until I've just been like, you know what, Sid, just let it the fuck go and then deal with whatever happens when it happens. Like, but don't create more issues and problems in your head. He goes to say, we are always interpreting the meaning of every moment and every occurrence. We are always choosing the values by which we live and the metrics by which we measure everything that happens to us. Often the same event can be good or bad depending on the metric we choose to use. The point is we are always choosing whether we recognize it or not. Always. And that's the fucking truth. Then he goes into... The responsibility fault fallacy. He says, years ago when I was much younger and stupider, I wrote a blog post and at the end of it, I said something like, as a great philosopher once said, with great power comes great responsibility. And it sounded nice and authoritative. I couldn't remember who said it. My Google search had turned up nothing, but I stuck to it and it fit nicely at the end of the post. Then about 10 minutes later, the first comment came in and said, I think the great philosopher you're referring to is Uncle Ben from The Spider-Man. It's one of those perfect quotes that sound really intelligent, and yet it's basically just telling you what you already know, even if you've never quite thought about the matter before. With great power comes great responsibility. It is true, but there's a better version of this quote, a version that actually is profound, and all you have to do is switch the nouns around. With great responsibility comes great power. The more we choose to accept responsibility in our lives, the more power we will exercise over our lives. Accepting responsibility for our problems is thus the first step to solving them. Hell yeah. But it takes a lot of freaking self-reflection, a lot of strength, and a lot of courage for us to open up. It's hard for us to accept our responsibilities in our life because it's so much easier to make it somebody else's problem so that we don't actually have to do the work. He goes to saying, I once knew a man who was a great catch, but he was absolutely convinced that women found him too short to date. And because he felt that he was too short to date, he didn't often go out and try to meet women. The few times he did, he would hone in on the smallest behaviors from any woman he talked with that could possibly indicate he wasn't attractive enough for her and then convince himself that she didn't like him, even if she really did. You can imagine his dating life sucked. What he didn't realize was that he had chosen the value that was hurting him, height. Women, he assumed, are attracted only to height. He was screwed no matter what he did. That is so not true. We love some short kings over here, okay? People are so obsessed that height is like everything. I mean, I don't mind a nice tall man, but we got our little wee kings, our short kings out there. (laughs) And then he says, this choice of value was disempowering. It gave this man a really crappy problem. There are far better values that he could have adopted in his dating life. I want to date only women who like me for who I am might have been a nice place to start. A metric that assesses the values of honesty and acceptance but he did not choose these values. He likely wasn't even aware that he was choosing his value or could do so. Even though he didn't realize it, he was responsible for his own problems. Despite that responsibility, he went on complaining, but I don't have a choice, he would tell the bartender. There's nothing I can do. Women are superficial and vain and will never like me. Yes, it's every single woman's fault for not liking a self-pitying, shallow guy with shitty values. 
obviously. Ew. Yeah, see, I don't fuck with a short king like that. That's not a short king. That's a short joke. But he goes on to say a lot of people hesitate to take responsibility for their problems because they believe that to be responsible for your problems is to also be at fault for your problems. Responsibility and fault often appear together in our culture, but they are not the same thing. If I hit you with my car, I am both at fault and legally responsible to compensate you in some way. Even if hitting you with my car was an accident, I am still responsible. This is the way fault works in our society. If you fuck up, you're on the hook for making it right, and it should be that way. But there are also problems that we aren't at fault for, yet we are still responsible for. For example, if you woke up one day and there was a newborn baby on your step, it would not be your fault that the baby had been put there, but the baby would now be a responsibility. You would have to choose what to do with it. And whatever you ended up choosing, keeping it, getting rid of it, ignoring it, feeding it to a pit bull, hmm, there would be problems associated with your choice and you would be responsible for those as well. Here's one way to think about the distinction between these two concepts. Fault is past tense. Responsibility is present tense. Fault results from choices that have already been made. Responsibility results from the choices you are currently making every second of every day. You are choosing to read this. You are choosing to accept or reject the concept. It may be my fault that you think my ideas are lame, but you are responsible for coming to your own conclusion. But it is not your fault that I chose to write this sentence, but you are still responsible for choosing to read it or not. Then he goes to say, nobody else is ever responsible for your situation but you. And that is like what I just said already before. Many people may be to blame for your unhappiness, but nobody is ever responsible for your unhappiness but you. This is because you always get to choose how you see things, how you react to things, how you value things. You always get to choose the metric by which to measure your experiences. (laughs) This really like spoke to me because this past year I had a relationship that was about two and a half years that ended and I put up with a lot of fucking shit throughout the entire relationship, but I stuck around and even though that person made me really unhappy a lot of the time, it was my responsibility because I chose to stick around. I chose to put up with the bullshit. I chose to see the red flags and ignore them. I chose to make excuses for this person. I chose to let them walk all over me and disrespect me as a person, as a human being. And so it's my fault. It's my responsibility to get myself out of a situation that is unhealthy and I'm unhappy And so I can't blame this person for doing all of these things to me. I can't blame them for making me unhappy. I can't blame them for me letting them treat me that way. That is my fault. That is my responsibility to take care of. So I think a lot of people don't want to hear that and they want to put that blame on that person. Like, oh, well, why did they treat me like this? And like, why did they not love me the way I should have been loved? Or why were they so mean and so negative and whatever? And it's like, okay, you fucking get it. That person is an asshole. Like you see it right in front of you. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge your worth as a person and acknowledge that you have to go and do whatever it takes to make you happy. And if this person is not making you happy, then fucking leave. And I know that shit is so stupid to say because like it's so easy to be like oh just get up and leave I was in a relationship for two and a half years putting up with this shit when I knew it was making me unhappy and I chose to stay and it's not easy to leave a relationship like that because 
you want this person to change and you think that time can fix that or they can learn to treat you better, they can learn to love you the right way, it is not going to happen, okay? From experience, let me save you some time, okay? If they don't treat you right and you see all these red flags and you ignore them and you think that time or you're going to fix them is going to change the situation, it's not. It, it's not and never will. So just say goodbye. So then he goes into kind of like a relationship story about him and his ex-girlfriend or his first girlfriend. And she uh, was cheating on him with her teacher. And he found out and he said she left him for the teacher. Her and the teacher, I guess, got together. Like, I don't know. Interesting. And then so he just felt like shit, complete shit about himself. But he had also held her responsible for his misery. And he goes to saying, see, I couldn't control her. No matter how many times I called her, screamed at her, begged her to take me back or made surprise visits to her place or did other crazy ex shit. I could never control her emotions or her actions. Ultimately, while she was to blame for how I felt, she was never responsible for how I felt. I was. At some point after enough tears and alcohol, my thinking began to shift and I began to understand that although she had done something horrible and she could be blamed for that, it was now my responsibility to make myself happy again. She was never going to pop up and fix things for me. I had to fix them for myself. When I took that approach, a few things happened. First, I began to improve myself. I started exercising and spending more time with my friends. I started deliberately meeting new people. I took a big study abroad trip and did some volunteer work and slowly I started to feel better. I still resented my ex for what she had done, but at least now I was taking responsibility for my own emotions and by doing so, I was choosing better values. Values aimed at taking care of myself, learning to feel better about myself rather than aimed at getting her to fix what she had broken. They're never going to fix the problem. Oh my gosh. I made a mistake of like after my ex and I, we split. I was so heartbroken. I went back because I was like, the only person that can fix this pain and this ache is that person. Like I'm just have to go back. And I fucking went back and it was even fucking worse. Like that person is not going to fix you. That brokenness that you feel from the relationship is not going to be fixed. The person who broke you cannot fix you. Okay. As much as you think that they can, it's just gonna, it's from experience. It just gets worse. Don't do it. (laughs) Just don't fucking do it. Um, then he goes on to saying about a year later, something funny began to happen. As I looked back on our relationship, I started to notice problems I had never noticed before problems that I was to blame for and that I could have done something to solve. I realized that it was likely that I hadn't been a great boyfriend and that people don't just magically cheat on someone they've been with unless they're unhappy for some reason. I'm not saying that this is an excuse, what my ex did, not at all, but recognizing my mistakes helped me to realize that I perhaps hadn't been the innocent victim I believed myself to be, that I had a role to play in enabling the shitty relationship to continue for as long as I did. After all, people who date each other tend to have similar values. And if I dated someone with shitty values for that long, what did that say about me and my values? Then it goes into, I learned the hard way that if people in your relationships are selfish and doing hurtful things, it's likely you are too. You just don't realize it. And like, I don't want to say that like I'm perfect because that's making me 
kind of sound like I think I did nothing wrong in the relationship. I know I did. I know I have my flaws. I know I'm not perfect. Um, I own up to them, but that was the difference was I owned up to my flaws and admitted it and was honest about it. The other person did not. They never thought anything was wrong with them. And that's a fucking red flag. So he goes in to say, in hindsight, I was able to look back and see warning signs of my ex-girlfriend's character, signs I had chosen to ignore or brush off when I was with her. That was my fault. I could look back and see that I hadn't exactly been the boyfriend of the year to her either. In fact, I had often been cold and arrogant towards her. Other times I took her for granted and blew her off and hurt her. These things were my fault too. Did my mistakes justify her mistake? No. But still, I took on the responsibility of never making those same mistakes again and never overlooking the same signs again to help guarantee that I will never suffer the same consequences again. And that is one of the most important things you can do, especially after a relationship has ended. You've got this time to really reflect on the relationship as a whole without being in it, without having the emotional ties like you once did. And you can see it from such a different perspective. And that's when it's like key to acknowledge the red flags, the green flags, what worked for you guys, what didn't work for you, and then create those boundaries for yourself and your next relationship and stick to it once you get into a new relationship. Because as soon as you go into a fucking relationship without boundaries, it is almost impossible to set them while you're in there. Because you've already let this person do whatever the fuck they want to do. So then when you try to implement them, it's like, oh my God, like you don't care or you're doing this or you're being a bitch or you're being cold or you're like, it's always something because you already like gave them full access to treat you however the fuck they want to treat you. So make sure when you go into a relationship, you know what you want, know what you don't want and set your boundaries and stick to them because they will respect you for having boundaries. And if they don't, goodbye. Bye, sir. Bye, ma'am. You know, you don't need them. And you're respecting yourself. As soon as you go into a relationship and you're like, fuck it, I'm in love. Like, let's just have a whirlwind romance and like no boundaries. They hopefully, you know, you find someone who isn't a narcissist or is a good person and they don't take advantage of you. 90% of people are going to go in and be like, shit, I can do whatever the fuck I want. This person has no boundaries. I'm going to take advantage. Boom, bop, boop. You're hurt. The relationship doesn't work out. Done. Then he goes into, I learned more from that single problem than dozens of successes combined. And I am, I so believe in that. And that's why I always say like, as a creator or as, you know, an entrepreneur, a business person, whatever, When you're doing something and you're so afraid to put it out there because you want it to be perfect, the only way, like there's no perfection in this world, but how you learn to make something better or greater is by putting it out in the world and seeing what fucks up, like what doesn't work. If you put, if I put the podcast out and it was just totally fucking incredible, I wouldn't have been forced to grow. I wouldn't have been forced to learn new things. I would just been comfortable Incomfortability is the death of success. You might feel super uncomfortable putting something out and it might be shitty, but when something messes up, you just learn how to make it better. So he goes on to say a few years ago, I had written about some of the ideas in the chapter on my blog and a man left a comment. He said that I was shallow and superficial, adding, 
that I had no real understanding of life problems or human responsibility. And he said that his son had recently died in a car accident. He accused me of not knowing what true pain was and said that I was an asshole for suggesting that he himself was responsible for the pain he felt over his son's death. This man had obviously suffered pain much greater than most people ever have to confront in their lives. And he didn't choose for his son to die, nor was it his fault that his son died. The responsibility for coping with that loss was given to him, even though it was clearly and understandably unwanted. But despite all that, he was still responsible for his emotions, beliefs, and actions. How he reacted to his son death was his own choice. Pain of one sort or another is inevitable for all of us, but we choose what it means to and for us. Even in claiming that he had no choice in the matter and simply wanted his son back, he was making a choice. One of many ways he could have chosen to use the pain. So pretty much as he's saying things happen to us and it might not be our fault and it might not be our choice, but we choose how we move through the pain or the experience. We can either choose to sit in the pain and be victimized from the pain for the rest of our lives, or we can choose to move through it. You do have a choice to either get through in a positive way or or a negative way. So then he goes into another story and he talks about some kids that kind of went through like this project this psychiatrist was doing and they had different disorders like they had OCD, they had ADHD, they had brain disorders that really took over a lot of their life. One of the kids was OCD and he felt like he had to touch things a certain amount of times. There was a germaphobe. All of these things were pretty much controlling these kids lives. So they went through this experiment to get them to understand and recognize that their values are not rational and that they're putting all of this power into these irrational thoughts and that they can not always control them, but they can choose how to work through them. One of the kids said, I didn't choose this life. I didn't choose this horrible, horrible condition, but I get to choose how to live with it. And I have to choose how to live with it. And a lot of people treat being born with a disadvantage, whether OCD or small stature or something very different, as though they were screwed out of something highly valuable. They feel that there's nothing that they can do about it, so they avoid responsibility for their situations. They figure, I didn't choose my crappy genetics, so it's not my fault if things go wrong. And it's true, it's not their fault, but it is still their responsibility. Kind of like a little comparison to that. He talks about the beauty of poker is that while luck is always involved, luck doesn't dictate the long-term results of the game. A person can get dealt terrible cards and beat someone who was dealt great cards. Sure, the person who gets dealt great cards has a higher likelihood of winning the hand, but ultimately the winner is determined by... Yep, you guessed it, the choices each player makes throughout play. I see life in the same terms. We all get dealt cards. Some of us get better cards than others. And while it's easy to get hung up on our cards and we feel we got screwed over, the real game lies in the choices we make with those cards. The risks we, the risks, (laughs) sorry, the risks we decide to take and the consequences we choose to live with. People who constantly make the best choices and situations they're given are the ones who eventually come out ahead in poker, just as in life. And it's not necessarily the people with the best cards. I feel like this is 
something that I see really often and I kind of have dealt with it a lot with my brother. My brother is younger than I am and we all grew up pretty much the same. But when my brother was growing up, my parents were divorcing and there was a lot going on in the house and all this stuff and a lot of chaos and everything. And he kind of felt like he got dealt a shittier hand. And so he put a lot of his problems on the fact that my parents were getting divorced. The house wasn't as stable. There was so much going on. But now it's been like, I don't know, eight, seven years for him. It's been that he's had to grow up and move on and be responsible for his shit that's going on in his life. But he's taking no responsibility for the fact that he has so much fucking control over his life and that he can literally do anything that he wants. He still has two parents who would do anything for him. He still has all of the resources. He's got a pretty fucking good hand. And the fact that he doesn't take responsibility drives me insane if you cannot already hear it in my voice. Because there's been so many times he's so incredibly smart and creative and talented. He's got all these great ideas, but then I'll help him with something and get it all set up for him. He'll do it. But then the aftermath, he doesn't keep working on it. As long as I'm helping him with it, he'll do it. But once it's his responsibility solely, no longer has any interest in it. And I don't have any sympathy for people that are like that. You make your life what it is. He then goes into saying, some people get saddled with worse problems than others, and some people are legitimately victimized in horrible ways. But as much as this may upset us or disturb us, it ultimately changes nothing about the responsibility equation of our individual situations. Boom. I love that. Equation of our individual situation. Very poetic. Hell yeah. Then he goes into victimhood chic, which is... I kind of feel like I kind of explained it a little bit, but it's the responsibility slash fault fallacy allows people to pass off the responsibility for solving their problems to others. This ability to alleviate responsibility through blame gives people a temporary high and feeling of moral righteousness. And that's pretty much what I said. And it also goes into, unfortunately, one side effect of the internet and social media is that it's become easier than ever to push responsibility for even the tiniest of infractions onto some other group or person. In fact, this kind of public blame slash shame game has become popular. In certain crowds, it's even seen as cool. The public sharing of injustices garners far more attention and emotional outpouring than most other events on social media rewarding people who are able to perpetually feel victimized with ever-growing amounts of attention and sympathy. Victimhood chic is in style on both the right and the left today, among both the rich and the poor. In fact, this may be the first time in human history that every single demographic group has felt unfairly victimized simultaneously, and they're all riding the highs of the moral indignation that comes along with it. Then he goes on to saying the biggest problem with victimhood cheek is that it sucks attention away from actual victims. It's like the boy who cried wolf. The more people there are who proclaim themselves victims over tiny infractions, the harder it becomes to see who the real victims are. And people getting addicted to feeling offended all the time because it gives them a high. Being self-righteous and morally superior feels good. I feel like that's fucking narcissists. 
Then we go into we should approach the news and media with a healthy dose of skepticism and avoid painting those who disagree with us with a broad brush. We should prioritize values of being honest, fostering transparency, and welcoming doubt over the values of being right, feeling good, and getting revenge. Okay, then we go into there is no how. A lot of people might hear all of this and then say something like, okay, but how? I get that my values suck and that I avoid responsibility for all of my problems and that I'm entitled little shit who thinks the world should revolve around me and every inconvenience I experience, but how do I change? And to this I say in my best Yoda impersonation, do or do not. There is no how. You are already choosing in every moment of every day what to give a fuck about. So change is as simple as choosing to give a fuck about something else. It is really that simple. It's not easy because you're going to feel like a loser, a fraud, a dumbass at first. You're going to be nervous. You're going to freak out. You may get pissed off. These are all side effects of changing your values, of changing the fucks you're giving, but they are inevitable. It's simple, but really, really hard. Let's look at some of these side effects. You're going to feel uncertain. I guarantee it. Next, you're going to feel like a failure. You've spent half your life measuring yourself by that old value. So when you change your priorities, change your metrics, and stop behaving in the same way, you fail to meet the old trusted metric and thus immediately feel like some sort of fraud or nobody. This is also normal and also uncomfortable. I think that's so true, though. And I think a lot of people just, they it's the comfortability thing. Jesus. They feel so comfortable like being this person and not second guessing anything because when you second guess things, then you become vulnerable and like people don't want to feel vulnerable. So then they stay in this way instead of like really thinking about who am I as a person? What are my values? Let me reflect on them and see if they are good or bad or if it has a purpose, if it makes sense. Many of the relationships in your life were built around the values you've been keeping. So the moment you change those values, your turnaround will reverberate out through your relationships and many of them will blow up in your face. This too is normal and this too will be uncomfortable. These are necessary though painful side effects of choosing to place your fucks elsewhere in a place far more important and more worthy of your energies. As you reassess your values, you will be met with internal and external resistance along the way. More than anything, you will feel uncertain. You will wonder if what you are doing is wrong, but as we'll see, this is a good thing. Yes. I feel like in your life, you have to self-reflect and second-guess yourself constantly because when you're doing that, you're at least acknowledging like, okay, is this something good? Does this make sense? Is this right? Is this wrong? If you're never fucking second-guessing yourself, you're a narcissist, like dead ass. (laughs) So pretty much this whole chapter is like taking responsibility for yourself and being wrong is okay. If you have these certain set values and morals in your life and you take a look at them and you're like, wait a second, that's kind of like not okay. Good. Good for you. Like, that's amazing. Just because you like had shitty values for the past like 20 something years of your life, but you're acknowledging that they're wrong or that they could be better. That is amazing. That is progress. That is all you want in your life is to at least be taking a step forward is to at least acknowledge that you are not perfect and that life's not perfect. But when you get to grow and you get to better yourself and work on yourself, like what more beautiful thing? It's fucking beautiful. It's magical, baby. 
Like I'm getting tingles right now because like just knowing that we can constantly grow and become better people every single day of our lives. Yes. So I totally was going to go into chapter six, but like I said, I'm trying to keep these podcasts short. I'm struggling because your girl loves to fucking talk, but I think I'm just going to keep it this chapter and then depending on how quick and small the chapters are, I will see how I will make them. But I think this should be a good amount of time. After listening to this, I hope that you guys go into your next day, the next hour of your life, the next week, the next month, the next year, self-reflecting and acknowledging that your life is your responsibility Let go of the fucking shit that happened in the past and take charge and maybe do like a little experiment like William James did. Take a year to accept everything in your life as your responsibility and to make the changes that are necessary and see where it takes you. I always like read these things on like Instagram and stuff and it's like take six months of your life to just fully focus on yourself, stop going out as much, stop spending so much money, like focus on yourself and see how much you can grow. Do that shit. It doesn't have to be a year. It can be a week. It can be a month. It can be three months, six months. Take this time to do that and let's see how far you go. I'm so excited. I'm going to do the same thing. It's just incredible to see like when you really put that energy out and mean what you say and you do the work, shit just is attracted to you that confidence, baby. All right. Well, I fucking love you guys. I'll talk to you soon, baddies.